0: I was under the sky, no new horizons
1: Maybe there is no one else to be- Hello everyone and welcome back to the Campbell's Football's Podcast and I'm joined for this episode by a real starlet of the sports broadcasting game a, a guy who's really moving up um, the tree very, very quickly is none other than sports broadcaster, talk sport presenter and podcast enthusiast Hugh Woosencroft Hugh, a warm welcome to the show
0: thank you grant how are you doing
1: i'm very well how are you keeping during these strange times you
0: um I, I, okay i mean i can't complain the world's going through some difficult things and as you know i've got my job at Talksport at the moment I have at least and um doing the, the game podcast at the time so i really i'm not in a position to complain about it it's, you know in in, in many ways
1: Yeah, sounds like you've been keeping yourself very busy and I think during this pandemic I think a lot of people have been struggling to keep themselves motivated but it seems like you've not had that problems.
0: Um, I don't have a choice really <laughs> in terms of motivation, you know, sure. like a lot of people, um, I've got a job to do and I've got to deliver certain things and um, you I really have time to think about how motivated you are, you know, it's a busy um, job and there are some stresses that, that, that basically force you into a position that you have to do, you know, you have to work. So um, in many ways it's a nice distraction um, from what's going on and football can be, um, at the moment has been for many people, a distraction that's come at the right time. Um, and yeah, look, being able to talk about football for a job and not worry about some of the more serious things in life is, is a blessing.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean uh, obviously football has come back in the Premier League, it's been um, very interesting to watch with no fans, what's your experiences of it? It's, it,
0: it, it's very strange going to these games at the moment, um, for those of us lucky enough to be able to go, um, you know, you can understand why the players haven't been affected and, and a, a bit, a bit, there are some erratic results because you know, even to say it feels like a training match is, isn't fair. I mean, it is just surreal. Um, it's an empty ground. You can hear everything the coaches are saying. You can hear pretty much everything the players are saying. If you've got players who are injured up in the stands with you, you know they can scream things onto the pitch, and their players, teammates, and the referees can hear every word of it. Um, it's a very different situation, and um, you know the way that the crowd can spur you on can push a team can help them focus can call man on all those minutiae all the the differences without them football is a different game and it's it's a worse game for it even though we have seen what many of us perceive as incredible results when we're sitting at home and watching on tv for those people inside the ground um it will not have raised as much of an eyebrow you know when you're in the atmosphere you can understand why um you know, people's heads drop or there's a lack of concentration or just that players are affected by
1: it Yeah, I mean we've, we've absolutely seen that with uh, the fact that Tottenham beat Manchester United 6-1 recently and Aston Villa beat Liverpool well, that, that yeah. <laughs> 7-2 Well I'm a Manchester United fan and I must admit seeing that 6-1 defeat against Tottenham, I mean Spurs were, were excellent but Manchester United were all over the shop weren't they?
0: They were, yeah and I don't think that happens with fans inside the no, ground,
1: and
0: I agree. especially at Old Trafford where I've been many, many, many times, as many I've found myself as well. Um, and that's what I mean, you know, you. I think the players are in a difficult position at the moment in that they're expected to produce what they produced when the fans were inside the ground and a lot of these players thrive off that atmosphere, they live for scoring a goal and the crowd and the feeling of the crowd cheering them when they do so and what spurs them to score more goals is the feeling of having that again and the exhilaration that goes with it so in many ways to lose that um, will be difficult for them to take and it certainly will affect you know the way that they play you know we've seen a lot for example what we would have seen that a team would score a goal and the other team would react and they would be buoyed by their home fans for example to push for an equalizer but what we've seen a lot more of is teams scoring back to back and in fact what happens is you know a team loses concentration for the five minutes after they concede they try and figure things out and while they're doing so they concede another goal yeah so football has changed um in 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 some ways that might be good for manchester united long term that they 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 might win more games this season than they otherwise would so you know it's not too bad for you don't worry about
1: yeah, yeah. There's definitely a psychological element too, there, isn't there? And it's certainly that's something fascinates me. That's for sure. Hey, let's move it back to you, Hugh. Because as I said, you really are one of the the starlets coming out of uh, sports broadcasting in recent years. And I really much love your uh, shows that you do on TalkSport. My first question I like to ask my guests is: What made you want to go into broadcasting and sports uh, uh, media in the first place? Well,
0: originally I wanted to write in newspapers and thought I would be like one of those Sunday guys that would write a massive feature on um you know sport as a whole and dissecting society through it and people would love to to hear my musings or you know facts around a particular subject that no, i would spent my time doing that and that's why i decided to study journalism but in reality um and I'd, I'd, maybe one day i'll do that but certainly a lot of people suggested that i was a good talker and you know you should pursue broadcasting. Um, as a career, and so the more I was pushed down that road, the more I wanted to do it in a way. I never really felt the desire to be on shows. I never felt like I wanted to be the face of anything. I still don't feel that. Um, but but when I decided made the decision to become a, at the time, TV broadcaster, I decided to do it for sort of cultural reasons in that when I was younger, there weren't a lot of people from my background class background or my racial background um who i could see on tv doing this thing that i thought young kids from my background would want to do and so mm-hmm. i just wanted to do something that i thought might inspire younger kids from my background really yeah. got to be too too um cliche about it but um but yeah and that's really the reason that i still do it you know and just trying to prove to people that, that you know from being from northwest london and going to state school um, doesn't really hold you back
1: mm-hmm, yeah absolutely and I think that's very important to see how people from different societies you know really kind of can blend into uh, the whole world of football and, and certainly sports broadcast I think that's very important who were your inspirations in, in terms of your journey while I've been in the career in my career or before I got into it? bit of
0: both um, before I got into it honestly I think like a lot of people um, my age and even slightly older than me we looked at trevor mcdonald and moira stuart when they were on two the legends. respective yeah the respective bbc and itv news or itn news when um you know we're talking late 80s early 90s you know uh, just the poise the skill that they delivered that with you know that that inspired many many people to get into media from an african or caribbean background yeah um you know, in terms of sport I didn't have a huge number and even when I you know when I really started looking into sports media is where I decided to get to journalism newspapers obviously I you know I'm an African Caribbean background mm-hmm. you know newspapers were not laden when I was a kid with people from my background writing you know I couldn't really name one to be honest so in that regard there weren't but there weren't really massive inspirations and even from other backgrounds um was just really a feeling that I Mm -hmm. felt I knew a lot about football, I loved English and literature and I felt I could write and so I felt like it would be a good career for me and really I just took it from
1: there
0: there. and obviously I haven't ended up really writing for newspapers as my full time job. Not yet, you should say. Not yet. (laughs) So so it it actually hasn't materialised, you know. But but it did spur me to to just try and take the industry on head on.
1: Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned Trevor McDonald because he's just an absolute inspiration to so many, including myself. You know, I love watching the news. I love watching the way Trevor presented the news. He was just so uh, skillful and uh, artistic in the way he presented. uh, Very very serious, sometimes headlines and events. Mm. Yeah, I mean. uh,
0: for, for those of us whose parents are from a Caribbean background, like mine are, um, you know, even his accent was an inspiration. You know, you weren't seeing people on air in Britain who had Caribbean accents presenting flagship news, you know, and, and the level that he was at was incredible. And look, he wasn't a young man at that time, and he'd been in, in it for a long long time but i think for those of us who have family who are from the windrush era you know to see one of our own doing that um you know a, a, a someone born in the caribbean doing that at that time was you know it was unbelievable
1: really mm-hmm. yeah talk to me about how your broadcasting and radio journey sort of came about you because i'm intrigued to know what kind of route you got your way into the to the media
0: i'm, I'm pretty fortunate um I did, a, well, I did an undergraduate degree in philosophy and politics and came out and I was, you know, it was at 2008, it was like the height of the recession, so it was hard to get jobs. Generally speaking, I sort of sent articles around to papers and, and to magazines and never really got a positive response from anyone even to, you know, come in and do some work experience. I wasn't getting any um, interviews for jobs. So I just, I was fortunate enough to be in a position to decide to go and study a master's in sports journalism and actually that is when the opportunity started to come i was studying an nttj certificate um, and i was studying all the, the sort of important basics in journalism media law news writing and of course that opens doors for you you know those applications suddenly look very different when when they have that on them but actually while i was studying um andy cairns who used to be the executive editor of sky sports news came to visit the course and suggested that I go to a talk that he was giving with a group called BCOMS the black collective of media in sport and at that meeting I spoke to a producer from uh, an independent production company in fact that was making a documentary for Radio 5 Live and he asked me if I would do a bit of um, researching for his documentary and I said fine and ended up um, helping him for that documentary, but also he was editing Sports Week for Radio 5 Live at that time. And so I became like a bit of a runner, broadcast assistant, you know, helping out on the show. And thankfully, after doing that for a while, I was able to get an interview to become a broadcast assistant at Radio 5 Live Sport, which is actually my first sort of full-time job uh, in the media industry, moved up to Salford virtually immediately uh, with the Radio 5 Live's move. And it all went from there, really.
1: Yeah. Is that your advice that you would give to budding enthusiasts who want to go into the media and sports broadcasting more specifically is to just try and get yourself out there into as many avenues as possible?
0: Yeah, look, practice makes perfect. I think there are many more avenues to produce certainly broadcast work than there were for me in 2008. You know, YouTube was not a massive thing at the time. Yeah. You know, making your own online content was not a huge thing at the time the the equipment and the quality with which you can produce videos for online now has changed drastically. Mm. You know, a pretty cheap camera and a pretty cheap microphone and a pretty cheap laptop. Okay, for some people I understand that those things are expensive. Yeah. Uh, but, but comparatively to what they were, you know, what was a thousand pound laptop you can now do with a three hundred pound laptop. You know, what was a three hundred pound camera you can now do with a fifty pound camera. You know, so things have advanced um, in that regard. Even your phone, I think now, you know, at the time, none of us have had smartphones like like we do now.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So that
0: that that has changed as well. So my advice is start producing, broadcasting videos and podcasts if you can, um, interviews like this. And <laughs> um, people will, but people will be able to see what sort of person you are when you send them that. Whereas at the time, yeah. you know, I'm sending around CVs and an article I've written, just typed up, and can't really tell whether someone's going to be a a good broadcaster through that
1: Yeah, absolutely One of the questions I really wanted to ask, this is maybe a slightly sensitive question, but uh, as part of the black and ethnic minority group of which you're in, how difficult has that been for you to kind of pursue your career in sports broadcasting?
0: My ethnic background um,
1: Has that had a big effect?
0: I feel very fortunate, you know I'm 34 now Um, and the things that I've done since I got into journalism, which was 10 years ago. Um, You know, to start at the BBC, you know, what an incredible opportunity to start your career at an organization organization like that. I've basically worked there for 10 years. Um, You know, I've worked for Sky Sports, Sky Sports News. I've worked for IMG, Premier League Productions. I work at TalkSport now.
1: These are big organizations, um, by the way. Yeah, exactly.
0: I've, I've, I've written in the Times. You know, for me to say that I've been held back um, by that, you know, would be unfair and untrue. Um, but you know, you do face the perception, the stereotypes that other groups, mm-hmm. that other groups have of yours, um, and that that is probably the only difficulty. Of course, you you have the perception of people. The public who feel that you've only been given a role or you're only in your position because of your racial background um but in terms of stopping me in my career I, I, I can't say I felt it, I felt discrimination mm-hmm. absolutely and I think all many people, not just people in my ethnic group, you know women, people who um, suffer with, a, I say suffer that's the wrong word people who have a disability sure. or people who um are older face discrimination in our industry. You know, People who are very young face discrimination in an industry. There are a variety of ways. People from a certain class background face discrimination. So you will f- feel those discriminations all the time, those microaggressions all the time. Sure. Um, and, and you feel those. And, and plenty of people are just, you know, discriminate and people have their own personal feelings that you'll never really know, but yeah. they treat you in a certain way. But to say that those things have massively held me back, um, only as only slightly, you know. Maybe at the BBC, I wouldn't have have left, or they would have wanted me to do various other things. Um, but again, you, 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 I think as a professional, you also have to look at yourself and ask, were you good enough to do those things? Are you good enough yet to do those things? And if not, you know, get back to the drawing board.
1: I mean, you're you're my age, or really very close to my age. I'm I'm just shy of thirty. So you know, when when I when I hear. The things you're saying there, it, it gives me, and I'm sure a lot of people else listen to this, a lot of confidence that, you know, if you do stick in and you do work hard and you do show that determination, that you can go far no matter, no matter what um, issues you may have in society.
0: Yeah, I mean, look, if, if I show people that they can go far at a young age, that's good. You know, um, hopefully, the work that I've already done in terms of discussions away from my job, I've At least enlightened editors and executives on giving people a chance when they're younger. Um, I think I came in maybe five years too um, too early. In that five years later, you know, it was all about younger audiences. It was all about giving young people a chance. It was all about the future of your business. But when I came in, it wasn't about that. It was still about you know, if we put young people on air, will that alienate our 47-year-old demographic? You know. Mm subsequently changed and we've seen the backlash from it you know we've seen on various outlets and platforms you know putting younger people on air or putting women on air you know has seen so many people be angry about about the fact that, that white older men have been taken off air to make that happen um, but unfortunately there was no other group to take off air you mm-hmm. know like the, that's the reality of the situation yeah so it always looks like it, it's worse than it is so yeah um, person to talk to you about it, or the person, that's a prime example of it, but Fair. Things, things need to evolve in every industry, and hopefully they are evolving in, in ours.
1: No, absolutely, and I think that's a really good point that you make there. Let's talk about life at talk Sport, because that's how I basically know of your, your tones and the way that you communicate and present uh, radio shows. What is it like working at one of the biggest sports radio stations in the world? The biggest I the mean, biggest <laughs> i'm glad you beat the there <laughs> um
0: look it's a lot of fun a lot of fun um and there are pressures obviously that come with it and um, and you know the biggest pressure i think is to really s- not be at your a game but the a game of the industry you know and i think there's a difference between that i think you can think you're doing your best but your best has to be better than The rest of the industry doesn't really matter what you think you're you're, if if you think you're doing well you have to have a great show for the industry because you are on a station that is that big and that's sort of the biggest even even you know i could call it a concern for myself you know do my shows push the envelope push the boundaries of the best shows in in our industry because i think that's where you need to aim and that's what what Think talk sport would expect so um, it's a lot of fun it's a lot of fun and hopefully we, we grow and we can again we can evolve like the industry is evolving we can get new faces new names new angles better journalism and we keep improving as well Because that will keep that's
1: where we are yeah absolutely i mean the radio station has evolved enormously over the last 10 years anyway since since i you kind of cons- consistently listened to Talksport, and I, I still do you know i think i think it has an i think as an audience for most people people don't want to listen that's up to themselves but i i certainly enjoy listening to it and i think there's a good variety of guests on the show now female male and all different uh groups absolutely and
0: i think um all workplaces, not just radio stations, should be like that anyway. Definitely. Um, especially in a multicultural country like ours. So, um, yeah, we've got work to do. News New- New UK does, the organization as a whole does, Wireless Group um, and Talksport. We are doing as much as we can to, like I say, you've got to push the envelope on the industry, and it's not just about on air as well. You know, it's about behind the scenes. Um, and again, about evolving you know nothing is set in stone we have to move with the world and thankfully at a big organization like News UK there is at least a grasp on that you know a multi-national organization um, can at least see what the trends are has the resources to do that and hopefully push you know push us in the right direction
1: yeah, absolutely And what I also get from yourself You just actually speaking to me here, is I, You take real great pride in what you do And I get the feeling that you prepare A hell of a lot for your shows that you present
0: I do um, <laughs> Yeah, whether, that, whether it sounds like I do or not Well,
1: I, I think find. you do Maybe I'm being biased because I'm actually talking to you But I actually think you come across really well on the shows Especially Kick Off, which we'll come on to talk about in a minute
0: Thank you Well, I try to prepare as much as I can don't ever really want to be caught out um not knowing what you're talking about or not having a good idea of the story so that is the number one thing yeah for me. Abs- and in, a, in a way as well you know it's one of those where you never know if the guest you know doesn't pick up the phone or drops it off while you're speaking to them and you're going to be left on your own to discuss a topic mm-hmm. or to get through two or three minutes on your own while
1: you're discussing a topic, and I think you need to be prepared for that. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Hugh presents uh, a really good show on uh, Talksport called Kickoff on Talksport. Uh, Hugh was and Craft host debate, discussion, and live football on Talksport Tuesday, and Thursday from seven to ten. As we're recording this on the twelfth of October, and it's script to change. Hopefully, it won't. Glad that this goes out. But um, what's it like presenting a show like that? You obviously get Talksport is a show, a radio station. Obviously, we get a lot of callers, um, people very passionately defending or being very attached and scathing of their teams how difficult is it to sort of manage or kind of balance out the arguments on a range of different topics?
0: Well I think there's a difference between impartiality and fairness you know impartiality is not really expressing uh, a deep opinion about anything Um, either way you just sort of list the facts and let people make their own judgment whereas what we do is we do give an opinion on certain topics in football um, or sports, but my view is you need to be fair about that. It's not about having a balanced opinion, it's about having a fair opinion. Fair. So just say it, make sure you've done the research and you've got the evidence to support that. Of course, a lot of what we talk about is you could really give any opinion because we we always, we, we, a lot of the time, we're looking to the future. You know, we're saying, How do you think this team will play at the weekend? You know, you can have an opinion on that, but it might not necessarily be the case. So, um, in that regard i think those are the things that fans argue about most because of course there is no answer you know mm-hmm. if i say i don't think they should sign this player you know someone can easily call up and say well he'd be the best player in the league look what mo salah did when he went to liverpool and you go well yeah fair enough but i just on what i've seen so far you know for example i recently said ollie watkins was slightly probably about five million pounds overpriced scored a hat-trick against aston villa and then out and said to me on air you said he was overpriced well there you go you know he's i'm like well yeah you know and again it's like those little bits of evidence he did mm-hmm. score three goals against Aston Villa against the little
1: goals. Goals. but,
0: <laughs> but will you know you don't know what he'll do in the future but that's not to say that again that he's i never said he wasn't going to be a great player yeah. i just said they could have spent less on him and those are the ways of like the small mm-hmm. nuances in 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 opinions and yeah look, it's opinion based sport and um you'll always have people arguing it doesn't matter what you say so there's there's no need to
1: worry about that no absolutely and that's the main reason why I listen to TalkSport is because there's a lot of people on all the shows not just your own show but I can agree with a lot of what people say I can sometimes disagree with a lot of people saying it's all about kind of finding your own ground within people's arguments and you often find that there's sort of like a a kind of line comes down where you sort of sit maybe 60% to one side 40% to another side and it's good to have these really kind of um, great discussions on a range of different topics and that's what I really like your co-hosts as well um, what's it like working with them?
0: Yeah they're great fun to be honest you know um, a lot of good opinions, love working with Danny Mills, Dean Ashton uh, Matt Holland, David Connolly who I work with a lot as well um, Chris Ullumo, Darren Lewis Daily Mirror assistant editors on the show uh, every week as well like, they're all great, they've all got great opinions great contacts, great, uh, great. Way of presenting their opinions um it's a, it's a very good selection of people you know i really can't complain yeah. about the people who host with me um and of course you know it's you're in a again you know as a football fan you're in a very privileged position to be able to talk to people who went to world cups and won trophies um and get their opinions on things you know what what
1: more could you dream of as a football fan going to work every day yeah no absolutely agree. I've also heard you contributing to one of my favourite series of podcasts which is the Totally Football Show and you were on one of our previous podcasts I think I listened to with James Richardson I mean James Richardson is one of my idols of footballing uh, broadcasting and entertainment he's just such a great guy isn't he
0: I don't know if he's a great guy. uh, Let's hope he is. I don't know him that well, but um, it it was nice to work with him on the podcast. Um, And yeah, look, I grew up watching Football Italia. uh,
1: The guy I did as well.
0: (laughs) Yeah, again, you know, he's a bit of a legend in that regard and he's one of the best broadcasters around. So it was a, you know, it was a treat to work with him. But um, there are a lot of people that you're fortunate to work with doing what I do.
1: Yeah, absolutely. We're very early into the the Premier League season, Hugh, um, but we've already seen some really interesting results. We've talked about the lack of crowds and how that's affected some of the, the matches this season. As we kind of go into the season a little bit more after the international break as we're recording this... What do you expect to see? I mean, obviously we've seen Liverpool have a a big shock losing to Aston Villa. We've seen Manchester United get a a thrashing by Tottenham. We've seen Man City struggling to get up and running. Do you see these teams kind of getting back towards the sort of familiar order that we know and uh, expect to see? Um,
0: I think Liverpool or Manchester City will win the league. I don't think it will be at such an enormous canter as the... 97, 98, 100 points that we've seen over the last few seasons. Um, I think all teams in the top six will lose at least five games. I think we'll see about eight points, eight to ten points separating the top six, so it'll be a lot closer, a lot closer. um, And there will be more shock results throughout the season. Mm -hmm. The the sheer number of games um, will take its toll. Management of people's fitness and mental welfare will make a difference as the season goes along. Some of the teams that cope better with playing four games in a week um, than others will see better results towards the end of that period. So, um, you know, a Tottenham might play a Burnley on a Sunday, Tottenham might have played four games in the last week, and Burnley will win it, you know, and the next week, Burnley will play four games and they'll lose, to, you know, heavily to someone or whatever, you know. It's going to be a much more unpredictable season. Um, yeah. But I still think it will be um, something like 85 points for the champion and around 70 points for the team that comes sixth. So yeah, maybe f- 15 points to be more realistic, separating the top six, which would be great. It would be great from the fan perspective because that would mean uh, that we're still sort of hanging on to things going into the last few weeks of the season.
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, of the teams you've, you've watched and, and seen so far, I mean, I've been really impressed with how Leeds have started, um, Everton as well. What other teams have caught your eye? Aston Villa, obviously.
0: Of well, they second at the point as, they're, um, as we're recording this. I think their recruitment's been fantastic this summer.
1: Um, Grealish you know, has really come alive in the, in the last couple of games, as has John McGinn. As a fellow Scott, I'm really pleased to see John McGinn go well.
0: Great seeing see back out there after his injury, John McGinn. But they've added depth. You know, adding Ross Barkley is an excellent signing. And Matty Cash, excellent signing. Ollie Watkins who we mentioned already very good signing as well and the goalkeeper Emiliano Martinez who has been very impressive when Arsenal won the FA Cup and looks very very comfortable in the Premier League as well gets his chance to be a first choice goalkeeper in the division that's that's really strengthening I'm not, I don't think they'll be in the top 6 or even the top 8 but if Aston Villa finish 14th 13th again it's, that's great improvement for them um, off the back of last season and if they can uncover scorer in the shape of Bobby Watkins and that would, that would be amazing as well of course Ross Barkley on loan who I didn't even of mention who, who looks like you know he's got the bit between his teeth he's wanting to prove a point as well
1: so. well it's an opportunity for him to resurrect his career a little bit because it's sort of stagnated hasn't it it's, it's been full of inconsistent uh, blips and, and well peaks and troughs I should say it's been really well, up and yeah, down for with him
0: with all due respect to Ross Barkley I think the his decision making is poor mm. um, and at a team like Chelsea maybe that was more obvious that um that you know, he, he needed to be a more intelligent player.
1: And I think he needs to be put in a position
0: on the pitch where he's got time and space to use his physical abilities, his skill, and his goal scoring ability, which is actually very good for a player in this position. So if you put him with time and space in and around the penalty box, which you've already seen it, Aston Villa in the first game that he played, you will get rewards out of Ross Barkley. You know, push him further on, make him, Almost a second striker, and he will get into the box. He will use his speed. He will use his finishing ability. He, he's very smart at timing the run, and um, and and they will get a different player to the one Chelsea had. And people will be sitting there saying, "Why didn't Frank Lampard get this out of him?" But it was it was just a different system. Yeah. actually they they will probably get more out of Ross Barkley at
1: Aston Villa no I'm intrigued to see how he gets on absolutely agree with that what about the wrong end of the table Um, Fulham have not had a great start have they I mean they are bottom of the table as we're recording this Uh, I've not really been impressed with Sheffield United so far this season obviously they were superb last season under Chris Wilder they haven't had a great start Um, I expect them to have a little bit of a recovery but I don't think they'll be nearly as good as they were last season Um, what other teams do you see struggling coming back this, I mean, who will struggle is difficult to call. Very difficult to call. I do think I think West Brom and Fulham will definitely get relegated. I think so too.
0: Um, the other team in there, I don't know. At the start of the season, I tipped Aston Villa, so it's clearly, in my opinion, not going to be them. Um, Sheffield United will have a resurrection, but I think they they're they are trying to embed some new players, some younger players, some different physical attributes to their team that they've had that they've had in the past. Um, of good signings for them as well, which I think will help them out. I don't think they'll get relegated, but it's difficult. It's tough to call, you know. Um, any given year, if someone has a bad year, that that's it. They're gone. You know, it could be Burnley mm-hmm. for all we know. You know, it could be Southampton for all we know. You know, you know, we don't know who's going to have a bad season. And all we know, a Fulham or a West Brom could have put in a bit of a run. Yeah.
1: It's just less predictable, Grant, than it was. Absolutely. And when we played, when we played one game a week. You knew
0: that, that sort of the better teams would show up in in good health, good order, ready to go. Mm-hmm. Now there's three games a week. You know, it's yeah. very hard.
1: Yeah, and and, and and the COVID situation will have an effect as well. You're seeing players testing positive and having to self-isolate. We're already seeing it at the international games this week as we're recording this, you know, there's some uh, some nations are having to, to self-isolate, including some of the Scotland players. So it, it, I completely agree. I think it's going to be very interesting to see what happens with that. Crystal ball time, Hugh. Uh, we're coming towards the end of the chat. Um, who do you think is going to be top scorer this season? <laughs> oh,
0: in the Premier League, who's going to be top scorer?
1: it's tough to call. I'll, I'll tell you, who I've gone for, I've gone for Harry Kane, but <laughs> okay. that's a safe prediction from myself. Because this, this show is all about bad predictions, so you're welcome to have one in. <laughs> I'm
0: gonna say that Liverpool are gonna get back on form, and I'll say Stadio Mane
1: He's been brilliant for Liverpool, hasn't he? As, I mean, as,
0: as a left field pick.
1: Yeah, um, I mean, I mean Mane and Salah have been revelations for Liverpool, and they over the over and their consistency over the last. Four or five years it's been unbelievable.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's a difficult year for for Jurgen Klopp. Cause you, you, I think physically, the way that they play, they knee bodies, and they're going to need to rotate, and they will rotate Salah and and Marley, Um mm-hmm. because those are two key players for them. They don't want them get burnt out towards the end of the season. They certainly don't want bad injuries. So, Diogo Jota, I'm sure, will play. Curtis Jones, I'm sure, will play at the moment and Shikiri is still there but we've seen already Minamino is more involved um, so yeah I, I think it might be tough for someone like Mane to score the amount of goals that he needs to but look they're both world-class key pivotal players for Liverpool and
1: um, and if if, if, if Liverpool are going to win the league they, they're going to need to have good season definitely, definitely, absolutely last question for you Hugh because um, I've really enjoyed our, our chat especially considering that you're on a very busy schedule so thanks for taking some time to chat with me what does the future hold for yourself because as I said you're really cracking on well at TalkSport you're very much involved with uh, a range of other projects uh, very well I must say what does the future hold?
0: myself I'm employed by others so you need to ask them but very very happy at Talksport and hopefully I can continue doing a good show and more shows and more nights of the week um, covering the live football for as long as possible really Um, love doing the game podcast as well and um, yeah people give feedback to the bosses and tell them how much you love me and then hopefully they won't they won't
1: fire me Excellent, excellent stuff. Everybody go and check out Hugh's context, he's doing some great stuff for Top Sport. I've really enjoyed our short chat. Hugh, thanks very much for coming on Campbell's Footballs and sharing your story. Cheers, Grant. Thank you. Take care. Well, listener, that brings us to the end of yet another episode of Campbell's Footballs. I hope this podcast was just what the doctor ordered. If you want to listen to previous shows or look out for future shows, follow Campbell's Footballs on Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts or wherever you listen to other podcasts. You can also follow the show on Facebook at Campbell's Footballs. Search for me, StatoG91, on Instagram or other social media channels. But until then, until next time, I hope you enjoyed the crack and enjoy Campbell's Footballs.
0: What a